Tonight we're going to do part two of head spinning. And we talked about last week what our definition of head spinning is to our group, but you can tell it when someone's head spinning. I mean, they're just that person. We have to go to the rescue of somebody's head starts spinning because literally your thoughts start going crazy. They get muddled. You know, there's a problem if you get into a head spin because your mind isn't peaceful. And if you have anything that comes up in your life during that time that's pressure, you're in a double quandary. Like if two things happen to you at once that cause your head to spin and then you get pressure on the situation, it's hard. And I'm adding with it Revelation 6, 4, where it says that the rider was given power to take the peace from the earth. When the peace is ripped off the earth, then there's a blanket of anxiety that comes down. And what I've always said is you sure need to have peace in your head if there's going to not be peace around you. Because I don't know how people will make it if they literally don't have peace inside of them. If they don't have where their mind is peaceful and peace is stripped off the earth or pressure comes on them or that blanket of anxiety comes down, I don't see how you can make it without that. My heart goes out to my mom because we went through a situation where we had to overcome this particular attack. It was rotten. It was horrible. I don't even have words for how rough that attack was. I think I'd experienced about 40 days of it. And on the 40th day, I got my joy. Lots of fasting, lots of getting up in the morning and praying, you know, just walking in the night, praying, 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 fasting, praying in 40 days. So I went to my mom and I said, you know, when you had that for eight years, those thoughts that were tormenting, I said, uh, did you ever have a let up? And she said, not once. And I really didn't know how the human body could take it. And I personally don't know how people live this way. I mean, I am so thankful for, you know, just having grown up with peace and having a calm mind. Like, maybe people have never had it, so they don't know what it's like when it departs from them. But to have peace, you know it's worth fighting for. So that's what we're going to talk about is when you have this assessment that you make on yourself of, okay, I'm getting shaky. I can feel that low-grade anxiety or distraction or different things start happening to you. This is when you're in head spinning. And I'm going to say there's one verse that I'm going to give you that's always the problem. This one verse is what I'm going to call your reality. I didn't get to it last week in the reality section. Woke up the next morning, and all I could think about is this one verse. So I started writing, and I was like, wow, this whole Bible study demonstrates this one verse. So 1 Samuel 28 five through six. Here's the reality verse that always goes on if you get into a head spin. So maybe all you have to do is solve this and it'll immediately stop. And this is the analogy I'm going to make from this verse. In 1 Samuel 28, when Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. You just have to imagine a king, and he's trembling so hard, and he was afraid. So it, it tells you it's a double problem with him. He's afraid, and his heart trembled. So Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him in any of the ways he tried. We'll go into those in a minute. And so at that point, I wrote down something, and this was my answer to a head spin. It's when we want our problems solved, but we don't want God. Because you see what was happening to Saul. He saw the Philistines. He was afraid. And God wouldn't speak to him. And immediately he takes it into his own hands at that point. 
So this is when the pain is so great on you, all you can think of is do something to make the pain stop, do something to make the pain stop. These are the messes. This is the trouble that you get into. And so I've used this scripture twice in my life and once with good results. on someone Uh, the other one's not funny but the one that it worked well I was talking to the person I told them okay this is coming into your life because you have never had a wild animal for a pet and they go what and I said you've never had a wild animal this is a little animal that's wild it will always be wild put it back out in the forest (laughs) you're not winning this battle yourself with your head spinning and you can't win with someone that's in a worse spin than you are I was like, this little animal can't be tamed. It was a baby little Jezzy. (laughs) And we made a statement about the Jezzy was fully developed, but the person that the Jezzy lived in was a child. That's what kind of threw you off. But the Jezebel itself (laughs) had been around for a long time and knew what it was doing. So what ends up happening in a case like this is when this spirit is on someone is that a lot of times in this situation you start enabling it and you wind up with a little dinosaur egg and you have Jurassic Park on your hands by the time the situation's over with. But this was the verse that the Lord gave me to explain it, that you're so concerned about the problem, you're so upset about what you're anxious about that you're not even paying attention to the fact that God's not speaking to you. That's what I want us to look into. All right, now I want you to go with me piece by piece on this verse. It's so interesting how much is crammed into this one verse. So in verse 5, it says, When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was greatly afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. But it says, So Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. And so at that point, Saul said, Go get me somebody. So how many ways that Saul tried to hear the Lord? Well, we can say this, that Saul couldn't hear God under pressure. That's one thing you need to do is learn how to hear God under pressure. That's when we're talking about the anxiety coming down. That's when the world that we live in is circumstances. You need the ability to hear God under pressure. But then Saul, he couldn't hear God by pressure, but he couldn't hear God by dreams either. Well, I'm going to make the point here. How could Saul hear God by dreams? He had been troubled with an evil spirit for so long. How on earth could he have had dreams at night that he could possibly hear God in? If your dreams are terrible and every night you have weird, torturous dreams that you have torment in the night, that you have the what they call night terrors, then you can't have dreams where you hear God. When they prophesied over me when I had terrible dreams, you're going to start being able to hear God at night. And instantly, when Brother Jacob said that over me, my dreams changed, and they got very peaceful. And I thought, oh, wow, that increases my ability to hear because now that gives me eight more hours of hearing God because it went to peace. Saul didn't have it. He had let a spirit just be a part of his life the whole time. And so he could not possibly have a calm enough mind or a calm enough insights to ever hear God speak to him in his dreams. Well, he couldn't hear by the Urim. Now, I want to tell you something funny about this one. There's a lot of debate on what this really is, but it's a pouch that the priest wore. And they say that inside of it was a black stone and a white stone. One said yes and one said no. And so I made a joke. 
if you can't hear with two stones where one says yes and the other says no, you are in trouble. Like if you're just saying, do I fight? Do I do this? And you can't hear with a yes and no, there are some serious problems right here. And so I got tickled. I thought, you surely should be able to hear this way. But could it be that because he had slain the high priest and the priest of Nob, why would God answer him with the priest with the Urim? I don't think the guy has done enough R&R. Renounce, repent, repent, renounce. To clean it up enough. So he's not hearing. He's worried about the Philistines. And that's the problem you're going to get in life. You're worried about the wrong thing. You're concerned about the wrong thing. So he couldn't hear by the prophets. Well, all kings hear by the prophets. Why would he be able to hear by the prophets when he had treated Samuel so badly? Well... Saul has just eliminated every single way that God speaks to his people and especially those that are in leadership. You know, David, who could have calmed his head down from spinning, had uh, spent many hours with the harp in front of him, gave him a lot of peace. But now Saul has made an enemy out of David. You don't need to make an enemy out of those people that give you peace. (laughs) They are your go-to person when your head's spinning. Don't make an enemy out of them. The devil will try to make you not like the person that is the best person to help you during spiritual warfare. He tries to break apart those relationships. Saul should have done some spiritual warfare not to lose his guy, David, who was able to bring peace to his mind. And then you think of his son, Jonathan. Jonathan could have helped him. He had rejected Jonathan for choosing David and threw a sword at him. So now we see Saul's sword. It's aimed at David. It's aimed at Jonathan. It was aimed at the priest of Nob. And Saul cannot hear God's voice. This was Saul's real problem. It was his immediate problem. And it was compounded by his unstable mind. You know, in a day's time, I often find myself working against my immediate problems and not working on my real problems. And if you can make that as a point in your life of just saying, I've got to separate out what kind of problems. Because the ones that are coming with pressure, compulsion, anxiety, many times they're not your real problems. There's a deeper root. So let's look at this a little closer. It said, when Saul saw with his eyes, S-A-W, it actually became a bad to worse slide. Look at what it says. He saw an entire camp of enemies. They were numerous perhaps better armed. Definitely, they were in a better state of mind. They were prepared for this battle. Saul saw his own insecurity as a leader. He saw the ability. He wasn't ready for this fight. Something was wrong. He saw his own state with the Lord. Reality hit him, and he knew that he had everything to fear. This is what Saul saw. So in verse 5, it says, when Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was greatly afraid and his heart trembled greatly. This is what Saul was feeling. So at this point, you've got to diagnose what's the source. What's starting the spin? Sometimes the person knows, I'm not feeling like myself, but they can't pinpoint what let it in. They don't know what they made contact with that made them go from a stable person into someone who is fighting every kind of imaginable thought. If I describe what this feels like, this dates you. But you remember in the 70s where they had the strobe lights in the dance halls? That's what my thoughts felt like. They flashed about like that strobe light. And it was like there was no coherent pattern to them. They just would flash all kinds of things. And all of it meant my demise. From a person who had always been able to get my thoughts 
under control and to have my mind stabilized, I was in shock that it felt like my brain had been electrocuted. I'm like, how did this happen? So at this point, you start identifying it because every head spin has the same elements to it. So you have your urgent problem, and it's something that has priority over God. And this can be as small as fear. Just fear has this same analogy. Whatever you're afraid of, you're more afraid of the problem then you are the fear of the Lord. You're more afraid of the problem than what God is saying about it. You're more afraid of the problem than your relationship with God. Always there's this huge, deep, massive amount of, what would Steph say? Self. And so Saul, his life was epitomized by the fact that he was just lucky he had one demonic spirit terrorizing him because this guy is narcissistic. I mean, these guys are all the same. They're patterned. You can almost say in reading psychology today, take their definition of narcissism and you'll find your control Jezebel person. The danger of the Philistines approaching at this moment, if you were studying the battle plan, was actually if they seceded in this battle, they would be able to cut Israel in half geographically. You want to destroy a country? Cut it in half. The supply lines. Now, Israel still has that problem. If the disputed land was taken away from Israel, right where the belt goes on the country, it's nine miles wide. This is what Saul was facing this day. So at this point, when you're in this bad of shape, and I start talking motives with you, you're like, don't talk about motives. I don't want to hear anything that I'm doing wrong. I just can't take it right now. It's too much. You're piling too much on me. Just don't tell me anything I'm doing wrong when I have such real problems. So I'm backing you up some, and I'm saying, in every state of mind, I want you to go through this idea. Because when you hear the sounds of the Philistines are approaching, the Philistines are approaching, (laughs) and your mind's already crazy, and you hear the Philistines approaching, this is when you go off the rails. So it takes a lot of discernment and hearing God to know what is going on around you because you're going to get it all mixed up from here. You know, one time when I was telling you about this happening to me, I was in D.C., and I'm like, I don't know what's happened. So I asked the Lord, what do I do? Now, it's really good if during a head spin you can still hear God. You're going to make it. You're going to pull out if you'll go into asking the Lord. So I asked him, Lord, I'm crazy. Right now the best thing that would happen to me is someone would cut my head off. I mean, then I would be peaceful again and everything would be okay, but there's something wrong up here, upstairs. So I asked the Lord, I said, what do I do? And he said, call this lady. And all people, it's the lady who put the Psalm 91 on the bandanas. And I had never called her before in my life for a prophetic word. And I told her, could you tell me what's wrong with me? The Lord said you could. She said you made contact with the spirit of witchcraft. I was like, oh, whatever that means. I didn't know what that meant. And it had started my head spinning. And sometimes you are not prepared for that spirit when you encounter it. So pay attention. Pay attention to what opens it up. Another pastor. I've never seen a guy like this that had such a powerful fivefold ministry gift on him and the ability to do miraculous signs. 
He had a gift that when he would be in front of thousands of people, the power of God would fall and people would start being healed like dominoes in a line. But, you know, being in some of the countries he was with a lot of stuff stirred up, there were times that he would call me at night and he would tell me, I just came off the stage, would you pray for my mind? And we'd pray together for quite some time and then he was like, okay, I've come out of it. I've strengthened. Because you can't do things like that and not have all these people out there cursing, cursing you, doing all kinds of stuff. You've got to be prepared for this fight. When you have a gift like that, like if one of you has an evangelistic gift, I've got to put more time into praying over you. Do not go into these gifts of the Spirit if you do not know how to armor up. You have to be able to take charge of your ability to put your armor on. Well, another guy young. He didn't know how to armor up. He was out in the treasure hunting and he was leading someone to the Lord and he led this person to the Lord and they had a spirit of suicide on him. And guess what? It bounced back on him. Same as a friend of mine whose dad had prayed this lady back that had smoke inhalation. And he said that, that when she came back, a depression descended upon him. It took him months. He did not come out of the depression. These are not figments of your imagination. You're making contact with something. And you know what? It's as easy as what? You put up a hand and resist. You don't put up a hand and you ignore, no telling what will happen. We find this humorous now, but my mom could have been free in 10 minutes rather than eight years if she had just known what we had just said. That she shows and she speaks to a lady who says, keep an open mind. Mother has such a tremendously open mind. She said her brain fell out. She found it again in eight years. These are easy things, but you must put your spiritual armor on. Let me tell you, the Bible never says to receive a spirit. <laughs> it says to resist it. And that is the height of soulish compassion. That is the worst idea you could ever have. So here we are with Saul. And it says at that point, when God did not answer him, that he said, go find me a witch. Go get me a medium. And they go, we can't do that. You've cast them all out of the land. And I was thinking about this, of who in their wildest idea, if God doesn't speak to you, would come up with the idea of go get a witch. I had never thought of something like that, but I have to hand it to them. Gentiles, we just do nothing. I can say it for the Jews. They do something. And usually this is the direction they take before they ever find the Lord. If you ever watched or heard the testimonies, a lot of times they won't quit trying. I mean, they'll try everything that's out there. Who could have thought of such a plan? I mean, okay, you read in verse 1, now Samuel died. That's a problem. Who could have thought of this? I'm going to go get a witch to get the prophet. Who has thoughts like this? But Saul thought the answer to his problem was human help. Samuel had helped him before, and guess what? He didn't even consider God on this one. And a lot of what we're calling church now is people, they only take into account human help. They only see, what has this person done for me? I must get to him. I'm urgent. And they never consider God in it. So Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who has a familiar spirit. Saul cared more about solving his problem than he did that God wasn't speaking to him. The real problem was the part that he was ignoring when God isn't speaking. So this is where I would tell you in your life, when God's not speaking to you, 
do an assessment, see what's blocking it, see what's holding it. You know, this had been a long time in coming for Saul, but when your head starts spinning, you always say that, you know, just under the cap, you can hear what they're hearing. Just under their skin, just inside their head. Well, you're hearing what Saul's hearing now. He's hearing the Philistines are coming. You're forgetting the whole time this is going on. He's got the pressure. They're coming. And that's the deal with your problems. They never quit coming towards you. That's why the pressure doesn't let off of you. That's why you keep doing something. So this is where you go, oh God, I want to know why you are not speaking to me. Even though you don't feel like it, you've got to choose to want God. It's okay you don't feel like wanting him. They made a joke. Sometimes you wake up in the morning when you're married and you don't feel married. That doesn't mean you're not. The same thing with this. Sometimes you don't feel your relationship with God. You don't go by feelings on this. Choose. I choose to want you, God. I choose to want you. I choose to want to know why you're not speaking to me. Then the feelings come along. So here's this guy, and, and the source is the fact that the Bible says that Saul had all this happen to him because of witchcraft. So here he's gone from suffer not a witch to live to now he's permitting Jezebel. He's tolerating Jezebel. And unfortunately on this, his son went down too. Jonathan, the dutiful son, got under the wrong authority and it brought his destruction as well. So the spinning of it is the fact that you find something out about Saul that you don't ever want to discover inside of yourself. And so I want you to ask yourself, under extreme pressure, when everything's going wrong, are you going to be more determined to get your problem solved at any cost that you don't care what source you go to? Let me tell you what it looks like to me. Having grown up in the country, sometimes a cow will reject its calf. And I've seen a calf do this. A calf will nurse every cow in the field. If you've ever seen it, it's really pathetic. It hurts your heart to watch this little calf starving to death. It's like, yeah, it has a problem, but it will try to nurse every single cow. And I've seen crossliners. I've seen people so messed up. They've had so little of what they've needed. They didn't get what they needed from parents, and they do that same thing. I go, they're nursing every cow. It's like they're just like, give me something. Give me some attention. Give me something. And this is what you've got to ask yourself. If you can't get to God, are you going to get it anywhere you can get it? Because this is what will lead someone eventually into a wrong source. If you've got it in your heart that under certain pressure you'll stray, the enemy will set you up for it. You'll go to a wrong source. You know, Saul, if God doesn't answer him, he'll consult the devil. Close that door and let God lock it before you ever face it. And tell the Lord, if I can't hear you, I'd rather never hear another thing than to go to something other than you. And solidify that God alone is who you're faithful to. Because I had a girl in church, I was shocked, we were speaking in Canada, and she told me, it doesn't matter to me, I go to any power source that works. She goes, I go to witchcraft, I go to God, and I was like, <laughs> crazy. I looked at her. So at that point, it's anything that will make your head spin more. It was during this time that, you know, I was thinking about Saul, who had no repentance. And then at the end, he's killed, but then you find out he's not really killed. He commits suicide. Saul had one of these lives that he couldn't die. And you meet these people, and they're trying to die, but they can't die. 
from there to suicide, Saul had the ideal, I just want my problem solved. And I heard it in her voice. When I said to her, I said, uh, you know, there's got to come a point where you want Jesus and not just get your problem solved. There is, of course, that mixture that makes Saul a freak. Here he is, a man of God. Here he is, anointed by God. Here he is, having the Spirit of God on him where he prophesies. But yet, he's a mixture. And you find these occasionally within uh, church circles. So you'll know if you're a freak, if you're mixing things. Just like the girl in Canada, just like my friend. Saul finds himself standing in front of a woman that he has thrown out of the country. They told him, I think there's one way up north in Endor, right where the northern border is. I think there's still one on the border. He goes, let's go to her. I'll tell you, I've been to Endor. It still exists to this day. I interviewed a couple from there, and they were in that famous Entebbe rescue. They're atheists. And they said, do you not know we're from the city of witches? You know, kings get information from prophets, and they're forbidden to get information from witches. But here he is talking to a witch. So here Saul is in Endor that still stands to this day, and he's talking to a witch. And the Bible says it's at night. This is always the Bible study I think is best on October the 31st to discuss what took place here. And you look at a man who's had an anointing to drive all the witches out of the land. But now he needs one. And he's a king, but he disguises himself as a common man. And as he disguises himself and he comes to find out something, he swears by the Lord. And he says, as Jehovah lives. (laughs) And he says to her, I swear by the Lord that no evil will come to you if you'll just go ahead and practice your witchcraft. And bring forth a spirit so that I can have a prophet so that I'll be able to get this answer that I want to hear from the Lord. Now, isn't that a mixture? What's interesting about this, the witch has something happen to her that she's never had happen before. So here she has a king and he's going to a witch, but he wants to hear from a prophet. Can't we sometimes get things all mixed up? So when this woman, she lets out this blood-curdling scream, I want you to listen to what's said. There's three things said very quickly. What does he look like, says Saul. Why have you deceived me, says the witch. Why did you disturb me, says Samuel. (laughs) So everybody is in the, it's like a good play. It's like everybody's going, why did you do this? What have you done? As everybody's trying to get clarity on the moment, you see that the head spinning gets even stronger. Let me just say, if you go into the presence of the enemy, it never brings peace. (laughs) It increases this head spinning. Just when you think it can't get any worse, it gets worse. And there's a lot of people who are really mixed up in their spiritual life, and they have confusion in all their spiritual thoughts. It's like Saul prayed before he got to the witch to pull up someone from the dead. Now, Lord, would you just please help me pull off this job successfully? And you really see they've gotten into confusion. So Saul, who is possessed by a demon, is partnering with this woman who is possessed by a demon. And actually, that's what it means, familiar spirit, a demon-possessed woman. And he's going to her for counsel and advice to bring back a spirit that can tell him what to do. Isn't that just as clear as mud? Yeah. Let me let you see an insight into what happened. Perhaps it had worked better than she thought it would. Think what she's done. She's channeled many times before using a spirit guide. She had a spirit that had always worked for her. She looked for this spirit, 
and the spirit could impersonate anyone she had named. So when a client came to her, the spirit could impersonate whoever it was that they wanted. But what appeared was not the familiar spirit that she expected. So when she lets out this scream, when she sees Samuel, what appeared was Samuel, whom God alone could send. So you look at this, and she has been used to using a spirit, but now she's brought back a person from the departed dead. And when she saw that it was the true Samuel who came, she could not but feel the reality of it that she had pulled up a prophet. So at that point, she had always had this reliable little low-level spirit that had done whatever she needed done that would get her her payment, and the spirit knew enough knowledge that it could keep everyone entertained. But in this particular case, it wasn't the spirit that came back. And that's why where Saul says, what does he look like? Her statement, she says, have you deceived me? How does she know it was Samuel? It wasn't her spirit. And so you see that literally a conversation is about to take place that's from beyond the grave. It's that area that is forbidden. Anyway, Samuel gave to Saul what would happen. Now let's just get this straight from the beginning. Samuel did not solve any of Saul's problems with this conversation. (laughs) He did not solve the problem of the Philistines are coming, nor did he give Saul any comfort. He merely confirmed what he had told Saul earlier. Have you ever noticed that when you're not listening to God, that God will repeat himself? So he says to him, God has rejected you. Now Saul has gone to all this trouble, and what's the great message he gets? God's rejected you, as if you don't know. I mean, you can't hear a thing. And now that's what Samuel has to say to you. You'd think he'd at least say something nice. Samuel had always been his crutch. He had always been his portable prophet. And so let's make it a little stronger. So then Samuel tells him, I just want to make one thing clear to you. God has chosen David over you. In case you haven't got that message, David will secede you. And then he says one little addition. He adds one cherry on top. He adds one thing that Saul hadn't had up until this time. He knew he was rejected. He knew that David was a better man than him. But now he gets the addition. By tomorrow, you'll be as I. You and your sons will be dead. Wow, what a great visit. This is the man who does my hearing for me, Samuel. I mean, I bet he paid a lot for this one. He did for all of eternity. You know, I'd given a word to a pastor. I said, don't bring this woman in. Don't let her come. And he was like, oh, she can come, but she won't speak. Don't let her touch a mic. Don't let her have a place of authority. Don't invite him in. I warned the guy, stay away from him. This is his words. I'm strong enough to handle it. It won't bother me. I have a word for this. You know what that's called? FLW. Famous last words. (laughs) Peter's pride. You'll deny me three times, Peter, Jesus said. No, I won't. If ever one of these sorry disciples deny you, I won't deny you. I'll fight to the death. Famous last words. There's something about getting around this stuff that yourself, your flesh will swear on your own goodness. And you will give some of the dumbest answers. That's why anytime you give somebody a word, they always, the word they'll give back to you, unless they heed you, is some famous last words. 
and you're always looking at them when you're digging their hole to bury them to go, I tried to tell you. That's what happened to my uh, friend. I called her best friend. I said, get to her. I said, if you need to tonight, kick in the door. I said, promise me, if you don't see her face, come get me. I don't know where she lives. I had to find her best friend on the Internet. Let's kick her door in. Her best friend said, it's no problem. She does this all the time. She'll just go through something dark, but she'll come out of it. Famous last words. So remember what you're dealing with when you give a prophetic word and where God's speaking, people will give you famous last words. They'll try to assure you in the flesh. Remember, they're spinning. They're not hearing. And the whole time, the Philistines are coming. And what you're looking for are those reversals. They get everything mixed up. You want to be right, everything you're thinking, but honestly, the reverse is true. And if you just said, okay, I'm crazy right now, just pretty well anything that's opposite or the reverse is true, you'll come near being right. Remember Mrs. Potiphar last week? I'm making sport of Joseph. Miss Delilah, I don't love Samson. If they had said those things, they would have been true. I was thinking of this. David keeps running around saying, I will not touch God's anointed. How many times did David say, I'll not touch God's anointed? But the reverse was true. Saul should have been saying, I will not touch God's anointed. Never one time out of Saul's mouth. You know, it says, So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, anointed David, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that time forward. Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him and departed from Saul. The wrong person is saying, I will not touch God's anointed. It is completely opposite. This 24-hour day is such an interesting day, one day in the history of Israel. And at the same time all this is going down, you've got David. What is David doing at this moment that Saul could be getting in such a mess? Well, he's with four rulers from Achish, and he said, I'll go into battle with you. And Achish had started liking David. But the rulers were suspicious because David was with his mighty men. They were their own little army. And they also remembered that David had killed a whole lot of Philistines. And they suspected that under fire that David might flip around and might turn against the Philistines during the battle. And most likely that's exactly what David planned to do, that he would have fought against them. What a difference David could have been to Saul at this point. What a difference. Can you imagine if Saul wasn't under that witchcraft, what a difference it would have been if David had been anointed to have pulled them out of the battle, to have at least won the battle for Israel, to rescue Jonathan. But no, it's a closed door. And David sent back the Ziglag. You know, Saul got the wrong person on the end of his sword. Head spinning, false humility, pat answers, honoring Babel, but very disrespectful, pseudo-spiritual, and famous last words. That's what you'll get out of someone. You'll get into the blame. It goes from a real head spinner. They go from victim to blame. I'm the victim to blaming everyone else. They don't know who to trust. When you're under it, you blame and you feel guilty. The blame attacks everyone around you. Saul is now terrified more than ever, but it's really bad when this happens. Now the witch gets into action. Do you know what she does? Last we've heard from her, she screamed. But now she starts trying to help you because you're in such bad shape. All of a sudden, the witch looks at him and goes, bad night for you. So she goes and prepares Saul a meal 
and gives him food to help strengthen him because she knows he's in for the fight of his life. You have really done a good one by the time witches are trying to help you get out of your mess. (laughs) So going to the Lord from the wrong means. You know, Saul wasn't trying to get into witchcraft. He was just trying to get to Samuel. This is the man who does my hearing for me, Samuel. And this is one of those cases where reasoning will kill you. They have turned and they've headed home. When you get into this, they have wrecked their life. So it was a whole life of this. I was thinking of one lady. And when these thoughts hit her, she runs, she hides. She turns off her phone for a month. She lets herself go downhill to the point of death, to the point of letting the Lord take you home. It's a deception. It is the enemy taking you out and you try to put spiritual clothes on it and pretend it's really a great thing that you're about to go home to be with the Lord. And this is exactly what happened to Saul. He is about to expire, making the worst possible decisions. You know, we've talked about why are we living in a time that everyone that I can think of, ministries, they're falling like flies. When it says a thousand will fall by your side, 10,000 by your left hand, I was hoping that meant my enemies. I didn't know it meant every stable ministry that I had thought had been out there. But their heads start spinning and they make the worst possible decisions they can make. They do not need to make major decisions during this time. They wreck their lives and they take down as many as possible with them. And if I could tell them, look, can you even do anything right during this? But no, it's the worst possible ideal they could have. And then they move very fast doing what they're doing. And you're kind of shocked how fast they move. Saul dies with this problem unsolved. (laughs) The Philistines are coming. He has made the worst possible decisions. He has taken a bad situation and made it completely worse. And he's drug his successor's lines, all of his sons, in with it. You know, I'm going to tell you when you know you're getting well and you're coming out of a spin. When you're getting well is when you can look at that verse and you tell yourself, I do want to know what the Lord is saying to me. I need to know what the Lord is not happy about with me. Yes, I want to know why he's not speaking to me. If you can do that, you're actually turning the situation around. Your mind's actually getting better. You know, Patrick was teaching Sunday school, and he drew a box up on the wall, and the box had four squares to it. And in the top two, I remember he wrote two things. One side he put what's important and what's urgent. And I divide that story just like this. It's urgent that the Philistines are about to wipe out Israel's army. But it's important, my walk with God. And every day I find myself, you know what I'm doing? Firefighting, stomping out fires, taking care of urgence. And I have to stop it and say, I must stay in the place of what's important. I must find with my life what's important and not what's urgent. You know, I don't know how to say this without getting myself in trouble, but when I do ministry out of town, you know, everybody lines up and they want you to pray over them and give them a word. And um, anyway, I was in this city and I was praying down the line. This is what causes a problem. I just don't have that ability to say those nice little fluffy scriptural sounding prophecies that everybody likes and invites you back for. And I put my hands on the first lady and I thought, do what did you say, Lord? I wasn't trying to be funny. I'm not looking for something bad on you. So the Lord said to me, 
I'm not happy with this woman. Lord, do you work it out with her? <laughs> I'm going to go sit down. And uh, I thought, I'm not hearing. So anyway, I put my hands on her again. And the Lord says again, I'm not happy with this woman. And I look over and I look at her name tag. I'm like, she's the leadership. <laughs> so a third time I put my hands on her. I go, Lord, are you sure this is you talking? You can tell it's him. You can tell he's kind of excited that he thinks you may say what he wants you to say. So I asked the lady, I'm just going to speak plain to you. Why is God not happy with you? I said, do you have an idea? I thought it would take me four hours to dig it out of the lady. Oh, she goes, I know. I sit on the couch and I watch TV all day and don't do anything. I said, well, God's real mad at you. Next. <laughs> I look over at Dan. Have we been invited back to that one? If you can get where you love truth enough to tell yourself, why is the Lord not happy with me right now? Sometimes they kind of know more than you think. I pictured the woman on the couch and eating and watching TV all the time. Why is he not speaking to me? I'm telling you, if you will ask God those questions with an humble heart, you're starting to get well. And you can save yourself all this trouble of the worst possible decision. Saul was a man who could not hear God, a man who was motivated by self. His head was spinning. Many will fail at this point, and they will not be able to get free, but they will get worse. Y'all, sadly, most people aren't going to make it. In fact, most people are going to have this happen. And 2 Peter 2.20 says, And their last state will become worse than their first state. Sadly, that little piece of advice that I gave you, reckon with God, asking. So the secret I'm leaving with you is, Lord, I care more about the fact. Lord, I care more about it. I care more about the fact that you're not speaking to me. I care more about the part that you're departing from me. I care more about getting it right with you. I care more about all this than the problems I'm facing. Lord, I care about it, Lord. I care. And if you'll just start pouring your heart out to the Lord when your head's spinning, your head will quit spinning. Because why your head is spinning is because it cares more about the problem than it does about the right relationship. So if you will just start crying into and start praying it and start saying, Lord, I care about it. You can take a very bad situation of a spin and it will come to a screeching halt. Lord, I love you the most. Lord, I care about hearing your voice. It's such an honor. It's such a treasure. I can't imagine a God like you who would speak to mere men. I can't imagine being a steward of your word. Lord, I'll tell the lady, even if it's that. But first of all, I'll tell myself. Lord, you're talking to me. That's my problem. It's my relationship with God that's at stake at this point. You know, the man after God's own heart, David, he worked this out in the Psalms. Sometimes he's screaming, Lord, help me. I'm desperate. But by the end of the Psalm, he's worked his way to the Lord. But my God, he'll be magnified. He's worthy of praise. He's the defense of my life. And David would work himself out of the spin straight into the presence of God. So what are you going to do when your head spins? Are you going to figure out what's urgent and what's important? Amen.